Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, but many of y'all know me as Nurse Alice. I am a family nurse practitioner, clinical nurse specialist, and TV medical contributor. So what does that mean? That means I stay talking about health and wellness and everything so you can live well. And... Um, I also talk about things that are going on in the healthcare community, the profession. So it's not just about receiving healthcare and, you know, those type of things, but also making sure that we can provide the best care for the people who actually need it. So I'm all about the hacks so we can live well and do well. So obviously we're 2021 is about to tap out, guys. We are on the tail end of things and it has been one heck of a year, one hell of a ride. I have to say, especially since we've had this front row seat to COVID and vaccines and things going on with women's reproductive health care, you know, access to health care being removed from people, like so many different things going on that it's really exposing our healthcare system for what I've been calling it for quite some time now is a sick care system. Uh, it's been reactionary. We've started to see its flaws, vulnerabilities. Uh, it's been plagued with implicit bias, rooted in systemic racism. There's some broken processes, just some things we need to get fixed or as for some of you, let me just say, room for opportunities or opportunities for improvement. Now, some of you might say, Nurse Alice, aren't you a, aren't you a nurse? Are you beating up your profession? Are you throwing them under the bus? No, I'm not. Absolutely not. This is actually why I do what I do. The reason why the young new nurse, Alice, take me 20-something years ago, this is the very reason I set out to be one of the best cardiac nurses in the world. We need to address the elephant in the room, and that is our healthcare system. Silence is complicity, and we must address the truth. And so if I don't address these things or talk about these things, when will we ever talk about these things and how will we ever improve the problem? And so, you know, with today's coronavirus pandemic, it's been continuing to expose many of the issues that we've talked about, and especially in communities of color who've been disproportionately impacted by COVID. And these health disparities aren't anything new. We know that they've been linked to economic inequality, and research has shown that black and brown patients often have received worse care than our white counterparts. Tons of research out there that shows that black folks are less likely to be prescribed pain medications when they have the same pain complaints as our white counterparts. When we look at maternal mortality, black women two and a half times more likely to die than white women during childbirth and so many other different things. And so it really boils down to, yes, we know health disparities exist. COVID has really shined the light on all of the issues that we need to address. And so we need to unpack this thing, guys. We got to unpack it. We got to get to the root of the problem. We're familiar with some of the issues, but I don't think we talk about it enough. And we need to hear it from everybody in the room. So here to help me dissect this very issue 
is tech entrepreneur Kimberly Wilson, who is the creator of an app called Yude that links Black and Latinx patients with culturally competent doctors of color. And she defines culturally competent as doctors who specifically understand the physical, mental, and cultural needs of diverse patients. So welcome to the show, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So sis, I have been researching the work that you've been doing and kudos to you. I mean, you deserve your roses now because this app, when when we look at you, it's something that I think we should have had long time ago. And I don't know why we haven't, but I'm thankful for you to have brought this to the forefront. So can you tell, first tell our listeners a little bit more about you as an individual and tell us how you birthed the idea of viewed. Absolutely. So interestingly enough, I don't come from healthcare in any capacity. Prior to starting Hued, I actually spent my career working at the intersection of social justice, media, and technology. So on the on the media side at Essence Magazine, at Black Enterprise, at The Root, at The Grio. So really as a storyteller, amplifying stories that exist within our communities, you know, in order to bring them to light and bring them to surface, right? So Hued ended up being a natural extension of that in a different capacity. I started the company really because of my own frustrations as a Black woman navigating healthcare and experiencing disproportionate care, as you mentioned. I had been diagnosed with uterine fibroids in 2017. So we know fibroids are very common for women, but for Black women specifically, up to 80% will develop them by the age of 50. However, will get them in varying stages. And for myself, I had developed over 30 of them. So we know that fibroids are benign tumors, but still tumors nonetheless. And I lived in New York City at the time, and I was in and out of the hospital for a period of about six months because I suffered, unfortunately, for debilitating pain as a result of my fibroids because they impacted my bowels and they pushed against other organs. And during that time, I met with four different providers. They were all white men who either dismissed or ignored my pain altogether or stated that my only treatment option was to have a hysterectomy. And I just turned 29 at the time. And to be told at 29, when you don't have any children, that my entire uterus would have to be removed as a result of that was very disheartening for me. And I was really shocked, quite frankly, even the pain I was experiencing, the doctors didn't care about it. And I was very adamant about getting a fifth and final opinion, more so specifically from a Black care provider. And I searched, right? And when I did, the experience was a complete 180 from bedside manner to treatment options, to even recommendations and resources relative to the diagnosis, because The irony is that I had never, before being diagnosed, I had never heard of fibroids. And then you get diagnosed with fibroids and you find out everybody has them. But for me, I had never even heard of it. So it was a stark realization that this is what we experience that, you know, as, as a person, as a woman of color, and I say woman of color, but I mean, as a black woman within healthcare and you know, for me, I 
am an informed decision maker. I was very adamant about seeing a black doctor, but unfortunately not everybody is going to be that adamant. And, you know, we are beholden to a healthcare system that tells us that we have to do these things. And, you know, I was just thankful that that was my experience. And long story short, um, because I've already gotten long into the story, but I didn't end up having a hysterectomy. I actually had a myomectomy. My uterus is still intact. But I, you know, I wondered after that experience, what if I would have listened to those white doctors who did not care about me or my needs altogether. So that really became why I started HUD. Leaving out one important detail is that the Black OB that I was able to find, who was a Black woman, she actually was in Baltimore. So the closest referral that I was able to get for a Black OB was in Baltimore. And I lived in New York City. And I felt I live in arguably the most diverse patient population in the world. Why is it so hard to find culturally sensitive care? And you know, all of these things culminated in, you know, there's got to be a better way to find Black doctors, to find Latinx doctors, and really those who can meet the cultural needs of these communities. So I started HUD as a healthcare engagement platform to, uh, that was a diverse directory that matched Black patients essentially to Black doctors. And that became the initial what HUD was, but we've since developed beyond that. But that really became my story and why I started this company. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Kimberly, unfortunately, you are not the only Black person who's experienced something like that. You can't believe how many times when I've taken care of patients, they'll, they'll cling to me and say, can you be my nurse practitioner? Do you do you have do you know someone who lives in Michigan? Do you know someone who lives in Florida? All of the people that I've met, they want a black healthcare provider. And for those of you who are listening, the reason why this is important, the reason why this is so so important. I mean, we can go on for days about the research that shows the inequality of treatment and care that black people receive, but this taps into a trust factor as well. I'm kind of stumbled here because Kimberly just hit the nail on the head because so many people, everyone wants to be healthy. Everybody wants to be well. Everyone wants to believe that their healthcare provider is going to have their extreme best interests in mind and do everything that they can. And the the truth of the matter, it's not. Whether it's an implicit bias, explicit bias, there are things that are happening in healthcare that prevent Black people from getting equal or adequate care. So you mentioned the OBGYN initially recommended a hysterectomy. It's like, oh, well, let's just, you know, for them, that might have been a quick and easy fix. But what kind of quality of life would that have left you, Kimberly? Like you said, you didn't have any children and you didn't want that option taken away from you. So I'm glad, as challenging as it seems for you to have found a provider that you did, because a myomectomy allows you to remove the fibroid, but keep your uterus intact. So it's a different option. Now, mind you, for those of you who are listening, it takes some extra steps for that to happen. And the point is, it's not what's easiest for the provider. It's what's in the best interest of the patient. So Kimberly, in connecting with her Black OBGYN, was able to find someone who took the time to explore options, provide the care that she needed. Kimberly, you didn't necessarily come out and say this, but I, I imagine that you trusted this black OBGYN more than you trusted your the previous ones. Would I be correct in assuming that? 
That is correct assumption. Yes. Okay. Um, because I, I mentioned all of those things, you know, we downplay how important it is to to feel seen and heard by a provider and to not be dismissed. And when you're raising concerns, you know, just have that passed away. And just in those small details within my experience, I said, this doctor cares about me. This person cares about my life and how precious it is and how you know, how important this decision will be for the rest of my life. And just, you know, culturally, even seeing a black woman and what that means throughout the journey and being able to relate to somebody. So I knew that this doctor was giving me whatever the best possible option would have been for my own health care and for my own personal journey. Right. So, so you, had this experience, you were inspired to create Yude. You, in your previous comment, you said that it started off with helping to connect Black and Latinx patients with providers. Is the mission and goal of Yude still the same? Have you guys added on to that? Tell us a little more about what Yude is currently working on. Yeah, so we've expanded in mission a little bit. So we are healthcare engagement solution tailored to address the needs of Black, Latinx, and Indigenous populations. And overall, our technology-enabled platform, we connect these populations with culturally competent and culturally informed healthcare providers. We offer health literacy resources, and we help organizations transition to equity-based care. And what that means exactly is when I launched the platform, I initially saw it as a ZocDoc that was for us by us. I wanted to connect Black patients to Black doctors, and they were able to book appointments and really make it be the most comprehensive database for the patients that we were serving. And that was great in the early run. But as we grew as an organization, as we grew in prominence, we would have patients reach out to us who lived in Boise, Idaho, or Bismarck, North Dakota, and say, I just discovered Hude, but I can't find any providers where I live on your platform. And we realized there's just not enough Black doctors, right? So unless you live in a market like Atlanta or Detroit or Chicago or Houston or New York City, we weren't providing access to those who were not in large metropolitan regions. The other part of it is we realized that matching is just a band-aid for larger issues that exist within our healthcare system. We it is problematic to tell a black patient that the only way that they'll receive great care in this country is by seeing a black doctor, because as I mentioned, everybody just does not have access. And we said we need to focus on the systemic issues that occur within healthcare relative to education, relative to training, to ensure that every provider, no matter race, creed, or any other factor, has been properly and adequately trained to meet the needs of the increasingly diverse patient population. And, you know, as we think about health equity and even the past year and a half going on two years, there's been a huge spotlight on what could be done relative to health equity. And uh, and if I admit it, most of it is probably performative, but um, <laughs> there are large systemic changes that have to occur. So where we have expanded as an organization has really been focused on 
helping organizations dismantle structural and policy barriers that prevent these populations from accessing high quality and culturally competent care. What that means is working with a hospital or a healthcare system to train physicians on anti-racism, critical race theory, the history of medical racism, you know, looking at implicit bias, as you mentioned, and all of these things, because I think the way that healthcare systems have really checked a box uh, historically is, okay, let's just do an implicit bias training when we know that, yes, implicit bias is just part of the problem, but even think about how care providers are taught as early as medical school and how to care for these populations. You know, uh, we have a partnership with Unilever and Vaseline brand that's rooted in skin equity and skin health. And I'll give an example. When we think about skin equity, black patients die disproportionately from melanoma, which we know is a form of skin cancer. While implicit bias may be a factor in that, we know that in textbooks and in medical school, Providers are only taught that melanoma is a red rash that appears on the skin, but if they're only seeing skin conditions on white skin, we know, quite frankly, that a red rash looks very different on a patient who is very high in melanin. So, and with melanoma specifically, Black patients die disproportionately because it is only detected in later stages. If they are never taught what any of these diseases look like on Black patients, of course, we are going to be disproportionately impacted. So as we think about education and training, we need to get out of this cycle that oh, we're going to, you know, require uh, providers to do an implicit bias training maybe once every four years. And how can we focus on continued reinforcement and education and training and provide resources to these communities in order to meet the needs of Black, Latinx, and Indigenous populations? So as we think about how we have expanded, it is really getting to the root of the, the core problems that exist within healthcare and how can we better serve organizations that say that they care about the needs of these populations. I'm going to need all the hospitals to sign up and work with y'all. I really, really do because I like what you said earlier when just matching a patient with a provider is just a band-aid that you really need to go in and dismantle those broken pro- processes and systems and help them to really rebuild a system that's going to work for the patient. I like the the mention of educating and training providers when it comes to culturally competent care. That was a great example with the textbook of what does melanoma look like on a white person versus a, a black individual. It could be missed because if you've never seen it, it'll be difficult for you to identify it. It will go undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. And that contributes to why we as Black people often are diagnosed with things later when they're more serious, more complicated. And as a result, we often have worse outcomes. This type of training and education that you do with hospitals, how can we get you out to more hospitals? And I know it sounds like you're working with a lot with physicians. Is there something in here that we can incorporate for nurses? Because, and I'm just, well, you know, Kimberly, I am a nurse. So, you know, I had to go there. But, you know, nurses, we make up 90% of the healthcare workforce. And as nurses and physicians work together, I believe that, you know, we as nurses have a duty to also make sure that we are providing culturally competent care. And I'm pretty sure that some of the missteps in medical school are also missteps in nursing schools. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. And I, I should have clarified a bit further. So our training is for every care provider who engage, engages at a point of patient contact. So that ranges from a nurse, nurse practi- practitioner, all the way to a pharmacist. So there are a lot of touch points within a patient journey. And quite frankly, a lot of professionals, healthcare professionals who are giving education and resources. And as I mentioned, even down to a pharmacist who is providing prescriptions and treatment options. So this is not a one size, you have to be a physician in order to participate in our training, but we're really focused on all of those providers who are engaging with patients throughout their healthcare journey. Okay, wonderful. Now, when it comes to you, I know, so you're, you're doing this working with hospitals working on more of the systems piece of it. I want to just bring it back a little bit to the actual providers that are partnered with you because there still is that matching component of it. How do you either recruit or vet the physicians or providers that are in your network? And how many providers do you guys have in your network? Great question. So Initially, when we were vetting providers to be a part of our directory, it was really through going through organizations and channels like National Medical Association and those alumni group, Howard University Medical Alumni and some of these organizations, because we were just looking really, quite frankly, to connect with providers who identified as Black, Latinx, or Indigenous. Since we've grown from a vetting perspective, the goal is you know, providers who go through our training will then be populated into the directory as well. So it'd be less of a focus just on race, but those who have been trained to meet the needs of these populations and patients can then search based off of race and ethnicity and language and some of these other cultural factors. So, you know, the vetting will be, this is a huge provider and they are within our directory and our database. Oh, wonderful. Now, I'm, I'm also curious, what kind of stories or feedback have you received from the clients who've been able to work with your providers? Uh, when you say clients, do you mean patients? Patients, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the response, quite frankly, has been incredible from day one. You and I both know that there, the, the need for this is dire and patients... I I get questions all the time. I am looking for a black dermatologist or I am looking for a OB that might speak Spanish. Like there is a cultural need to connect with your provider. And since day one, we, the, the, the response has been fantastic. You know, ironically, I went through a fundraising journey over the summer and where we raised venture capital. And what I thought was most interesting is that uh, one of our investors who happens to be a black woman, one of the best case studies for, you know, going out to an investor is, you know, she shared that she had spent years trying to find a a black dermatologist in New York City and like couldn't find a black derm. And then she visited Hude's platform and saw all of everything that we've done with Vaseline and uh, skin equity. And she was able to find her dermatologist. And, you know, she ended up becoming our investor, but it was because she saw the need in it and she saw how that made a difference in her even being able to have access to a provider. So, and we get responses like that all of the time. And as we grow from a data perspective and we can really develop efficacy around the work that we're doing as we grow from an access perspective and as an education perspective, and not even just on the patient side, 
we have gotten the same similar responses, even when we talk to healthcare systems and to payers and to hospitals. And there's this sense of urgency right now, right? About what we're doing and how can you help us? Because quite frankly, and unfortunately, a lot of these healthcare systems don't have the core competencies around, you know, equity, right? Equity being the key word. So it's really tremendously been an exciting ride. I know from places that I've worked in, uh, many of my colleagues, when it comes to the education or training for culturally competent care, some places it will be kind of a read and sign, or you just get on the computer, watch a couple slides, take a cup, you know, do a couple ten item quiz, and then you're you're done for the year. And to me, that is absurd. That you're going to do just a read and sign, click through a couple slides answer a couple questions and that's all you need. Absolutely not there. I believe there's so much more when it comes to culturally competent, being a a sensitive provider. So I'm really excited to see the work that you guys are doing. And you said, now I know, and you know, you know, we were talking about health equity. I think, and I just wanted to break this down a little bit for those who are listening, because Kimberly will have people, uh, you know, we'll have nurses, doctors, general uh, audience members who aren't health professionals. And I think we've heard the words health equality and health equity used interchangeably. And I think it's really important for listeners to to understand there's a difference between the two. When we talk about health equality, it's making sure that everyone has access to the same types of services. Like, okay, you can have access to healthcare insurance. You can get, you know, here's a prescription. You can go to the pharmacy and anyone should be able to get any of these things. We all have quote unquote equal access. But when it comes to health equity, there's a lot more that goes into that because I think we're, we not I think, I know we are having to undo hundreds and hundreds of years of work around things that have been deeply rooted in systemic racism. Because, you know, and that, that's why when I think of health equality, I think of everyone starting at the same starting point, but it's really not the case. We have uh, black and brown people who, for various reasons, that have been allowed to occur over these several years, we're starting way behind the, the starting line. And we have some correction. We have a lot of correction to do so that we really can get to health equity. So I just wanted folks who are listening to really just know that there is a difference between health equality and health equity. And if that didn't make any sense, we're going to have to elaborate it on a on an episode completely just about that. But there is a difference. And if you're listening, you're like, I don't really see the difference. Boo. You need to, let's let's talk uh, a little bit. We'll talk more about this because it's re- it's really an issue, and I think it gets in the way of some of our efforts. Kimberly, I, I want to ask you something else about your company is doing great work. I know that when it comes to wanting a provider who kind of looks like me, who I feel can relate to my plight, and someone who I believe will take more time with me. I know that they don't necessarily always have to look like me. Just as you mentioned, people who are going through your training so that they're culturally competent and sensitive. Now, I think that um, the matching part has been, I'll say, what people ask for. I want a Black doctor. I want a Hispanic doctor, someone who looks like me. It's because it's been based on a mistrust in the healthcare community. Can you talk a little bit about how that's influenced the, the work that you do? Uh, with your company, how how the mistrust of the healthcare community, how profound have you seen it in the patients um, who've reached out for your services? Absolutely. So when we think about, there are a number of barriers for 
patient communities really, as I, I mentioned, that are rooted in the foundation and history of this country. When we think about even within healthcare, Black patients at one point were experimented on so that they would be able to treat white patients. And then we fast forward to the Tuskegee experiment. And then you fast forward a little bit more and we're looking at Henrietta Lacks. All of these things really are some of the barriers in why these communities do not trust our systems. They are not seeking out care in a preventative way because it is very different to be preventative and proactive about your health as opposed to being reactive. And, you know, among other things, fear, distrust, comfortability, and then also just lack of access. So our concept of cultural competency is developed largely in response to the recognition that cultural and linguistic differences between healthcare providers and patients can affect communication and could affect quality of healthcare delivery. And not only does it improve communication and quality of care, but it also affects accurate diagnoses, pain management and treatment, adherence to the treatment, which are all variables that influence the patient-physician relationship and overall trust within the medical system. So we believe that in order to address this directly, providers could take the first step in just improving quality of care overall by becoming more culturally competent. And, you know, you kind of gave this definition at the beginning, but it's really defined as the ability of providers and organizations to deliver healthcare services that meet the social, cultural, and linguistic needs of patients. Because by just being more aware of their own unconscious bias and more responsive to the cultural beliefs of patients, providers could rethink how to best care for patients and be prepared to meet their individual needs, right? When we think about individual needs, you gave um, such an eloquent example of the differences between equity and equality, but you know, there's no one size fits all approach to healthcare. Also, when we think about all of the social determinants of health, where you live, just your zip code can impact your entire lived human experience. When we think about even, you know, people always talk about there's no, you know, good grocery stores in the hood, right? Like we, we, we think about all of these things. Even as an organization, as a, as a company, we're also starkly aware that even access to digital health services. We are a technology first company, but unfortunately, even depending on where you live and your financial situation, you may not even have access to broadband internet. So all of these factors, transportation, geography, when we think about how providers could best meet the needs for these patients is taking all of these factors into consideration. So, and that's how we're thinking about connections and access and, and how we can really best meet the needs. Oh my gosh, that was so eloquently said. I love it. You guys, this has been Kimberly Wilson. She's the tech entrepreneur and creator for UD. Kimberly, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm glad that you, I'm sorry of your, your personal experience, but at least I believe that that has been a, a driving force in helping you to create this platform and a platform that is really well needed, very much needed. Excited to hear about the uh, future things with you. I can't wait. I, I need to go to my hospital uh, administration and be like, listen, this module you have us doing online is not what we need. We need something else. We need something, we need something more. I don't know how that conversation is going to go, but I'm going to have it because I'm ready for change. Not only am I ready for change, but I know that the people are ready for change, Kimberly. Again, these things have been existed 
these uh, health disparities, issues with our health care system, which I call a sick care system. And I, you guys hear me talk about this a lot, but we've identified a problem. It's really time to get to solutions. We have to make the changes if we want things to be better. And Kimberly, we're so thankful for yourself, your company, your team. We're wishing you much success as you guys elevate and help change the landscape of healthcare so we all can get to health equity. So before we let you go, can you tell us uh, where can we find out more information about you and your company and what the next steps are? And if we want some of that training, where can we go? Absolutely. Yeah. So first and foremost, Alice, thank you so much for this platform and the work that you do day in and day out. Um, It is not easy being on the front lines and we do the work that we do to support people like yourself. So, you know, I have to extend you so much, you know, just kudos for everything and just for this opportunity. But as far as HUD, so our website or our platform, you can visit us at hudeco.com. So it's H-U-E-D-C-O.com. And likewise on social media. So you can find us on Instagram and on Facebook. It's um, H-U-E-D-C-O.com. And yeah, patients who are looking for providers, please visit us. You're able to search for insurance providers based off of, you know, specialty insurance provider and all of these other factors. But we are an early stage company. We're still growing. We hear the needs and concerns from a healthcare system side and on a patient side, and and, and we are working expeditiously to get everything um, and to meet the needs of, you know, on both sides of the coin that we're serving. So please engage with us. Please email us. Please visit our website. And we are more than happy to extend any additional information and resources. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. And guys, I'm Nurse Alice. You know, I love talking with you guys all the time about various things that not only as we as if you're a provider uh, need to know so we can provide better healthcare services to people, but also we're consumers as well. So it's important for us to know this information so we can apply it to our own daily lives as we also want to live well. So Oh, and shout out to nurse.org. Thank you so much to them, guys. If you haven't already, make sure to visit nurse.org. They help make the podcast possible because they care. They care about you as a professional. They care about you as a consumer of healthcare. And we just really want everyone to know better so we can do better and live better. So until next time, guys, make good choices, be kind to one another, and live well, my friends. Make sure to check out the Ask Nurse Alice podcast and share it with a friend, like, subscribe, rate, and all those good things. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.